Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the studio of Chicago and joining us here is Glenn Fitzgerald. I've got real answers. Huh? Sounded like a very aggressive but kind of yeah. kind of winsome guy in an old west town. Like he doesn't want to fight you, he just wants to help. But he just yeah. still has that cadence. That's exactly <laughs> what I was going for. <laughs> also joining us, Jed Brewer. Uh, this is me uh, gasping and turning around to look at the doors of the saloon as the question asker bursts into the room. Huh? <laughs> Excellent. Also joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, Lee Younger. I'll just be on the side doing the. Oh, very good. I feel like every Western would have been improved if, you know, when they do the stare down and that music kicks in, the pans over and it's just a guy whistling. <laughs> Jerry, do you mind I'm trying to do something here? He's like, but it added oh, to the bad. atmosphere. <laughs> well, we do have some great questions for you. We got a great show, but first, we have very much. I, I can't believe Christians actually did this emergency, which is one of our uh, favorite genres. Emergency? You will all be happy to know that the hot, a hot new Bible has dropped. Whoa. Whoa. Not in Everybody the Latter-day Saint Bible. sense of New Bible, um, but in the sense of some somebody, uh, our, our, some, the folks at the good publishing company, GPC, um, have premiered the GPC Bible, uh, uh, kind of uh, on the weekend after Easter, I believe, or, or right around there. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's red. Uh, it's, I believe it's an, NI, it's an NIV, which is, is lovely. Um, it, uh, and it costs $300. What? <laughs> ah. I feel you were all waiting for why this was emergency worthy and there it is, but don't fret dear listener. If you're a little light, uh, you can, you can also split that into four interest free payments of $75 on their website. Wow. Yeah. Like, does it like, does it give you spiritual powers? Yeah. Possibly. Well, let's let's read the description, shall we, and see if we can find where that $300 is going. This is the GPC's inaugural Bible. Our modern version of God's holy word was designed with the highest craftsmanship and attention to detail. The exterior is a striking crimson red soft touch cover. Two different shades of paper, one for each testament, was sustainably sourced from around the world. The end pages are hand-pressed from custom brass tool sets. Italian gross grain set ribbons are hand dyed and custom cut. The lettering in the Bible is by Eric Hayes. This is the GPC NIV Bible, all caps, created for our team's humbled and impassioned desire to bring the Word of God to life. Mm, so, okay. if I could translate that out of the the marketing copy, um, we we made a book in the hardest, most expensive way we could think of, and we would like right. three hundred dollars, please. <laughs> I I think uh, uh well the good news about this is you know for people who are maybe concerned about what all of this is about the good news is the bible doesn't have anything in it where Jesus had anything to say about people who are trying to financially exploit people who are trying ah. to participate in uh a life of faith so that's fine. <laughs> so that's just something to think about. The other thing is, like, if if I own a Bible and somebody lifts it for some reason, I'm thinking, that's cool. Well, you know, I hope you read it and maybe it blesses you. You know, you maybe you you flip that thing open to Psalm 103 and you find some really beautiful stuff out about what God is like and how he feels about you. And uh, if I've got one of these guys, if somebody lifts it, I'm thinking, oh, crap, I just lost $300. Yeah. It's a whole different scenario. I don't want them to be saved. I want them to be prosecuted. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I'm on uh, Yahoo Money, which has a story about this, which that's an interesting place to find a story about a Bible. That's for sure. Yeah. And... uh Again, all the descriptions are just, we made it to be expensive for absolutely 
no reason. Red translucent vellum of 100% cellulose fibers for ultimate clarity and features Italian gross grain set ribbon and elegant cords of woven fabric dating back to the 17th century. Mm. You didn't need any of that. None of that's, uh, none of that certainly fills their, their I'm on the features page over at the website. And they say, and this is interesting for people selling a $300 Bible rooted in humility. Uh, nope. Uh, nope. Nope. With nope, an ambitious nope, nope. mission. We set out to build a fresh relevant brand around the best selling book in history. The Holy Bible. You might have heard of it. By engaging contemporary <laughs> artists, thought leaders, and designers, our oh desires pro- provoke new conversations around faith and culture, both for the believer and the seeker. So they thought about the Bible, and they thought, what, what about this book could provoke conversation about faith and culture? Probably the way in which it's printed. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing in that book about, like, uh, if you care about poor people, you care about me, says Jesus. So they're pro- everything's probably fine. Also, um, having traveled a little bit internationally, you know when you're in a, in a country where the primary language isn't English and somebody, like, uh, puts, uh, like, they, they name a, a shop or something in some weird transliteration into English? Sure. Like where the the words don't quite work out. Like one time, Christy and I were uh, we were in we were in Beijing, and there was a travel agency that was called "I Will Not Complain Travel Agency." <laughs> <laughs> if you name the publishing company "Good Publishing Company," like that's like the name of the publishing company. If it was in the show Inspector Gadget, and that's where the bad guy was set up. Like this is a publishing company run by Claw. <laughs> yeah, we're we're certainly for legal reasons not in any way implying that these people are involved in any kind of financial malfeasance, but something called the good publishing company that makes Bibles <laughs> yeah. would be a very notable front for some kind of money laundering operation. Quite. Hypothetically. Well, to that point, Lee, about location, it's a great one. I'm glad you brought it up. If you go to their the website, thegpc.com. Uh, they kind of, you know how sometimes fashion houses will have like, you know, Milan, Paris, New York under their, Quite. their logo, yeah, yeah. Their, their official logo at the top, good publishing company, New York, Los Angeles, Miami, nothing says affordable housing and open to all people like New York, Los Angeles, and Miami. <laughs> I, I'm, uh, you sent me the link here and it's, people can't see it, but it's like a, a, a bold, aggressive. Deep crimson red cover, and then like the the edges of the pages are the same red, and then like the packaging it comes in is is the same red, like very very red, and it makes me think of the devil's shoes we were talking about recently. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> is there a chance that there's like some real artisanal hipster blood in this? <laughs> well, it was hand printed, so there's a real, real chance of that. Yeah, because that, I mean, that 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 take up the value, if only because you could uh, use at some point, you know, future technology will allow you to to clone your own hipster out of the, you know, DNA and what. You ever need it? Yeah, that you could then turn into a convert. Using Ooh. the words of the Bible, a cloneverse, if you will. But yeah, e- either that or or a, a, a you know a, an army could be both. Children's Crusade Part Two. Let's get going. I, I think I might have just one. And it's out there, but one possibility of, of maybe you know what's going on here. You know, it's the season of the director's cuts, right? You know, you got yeah, your, yeah. your your Snyderverse. You know, the four hour thing and whatnot. And look, yes, technically. The biblical canon, to my understanding, has been more or less agreed upon since about the 5th century. Isn't it time, though, for Bible director's cut? Wow. It's, oh. you know, we're doing the Snyder thing, but on the Bible. Maybe there's some new stuff in there. Deleted scenes, things you haven't seen before. Easter Wouldn't, eggs. Easter eggs. A blooper reel. A blooper <laughs> reel. Wouldn't you pay okay. money for a biblical blooper reel? Wow. 
Hashtag restore the apocrypha. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get in there and go for it. Now, there's also uh, not helping their case that they're doing anything but trying to market this to the obscenely wealthy people is one of the ways they've chosen to advertise other than getting stories on the financial press of Yahoo, which is really interesting, is via billboard. Now, that that could be a very egalitarian way of of advertising. You know, you, you throw a billboard there on I-40 and you get the the people, the real working man is coming back and forth. They put their billboard on Canal Street in New York City. Aha! <laughs> that's, uh, that's not a cheap piece of real estate, but what I love is um, the billboard they put up is the red of this font, which even though it was described as crimson, it's just like if you picked up a red crayon, it's just red. It, think ah. of red in your mind. That's exactly what it is. And it has a Bible verse on the billboard, which is very nice. But the Bible verse in big block, all cap letters is don't be afraid. And that (laughs) when you see words written 10 feet high, don't be afraid on a red background. I have a feeling that might have the opposite effect. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't before, but now I'm wondering if there's a good reason to be. Don't be afraid. The good publishing company is here. (laughs) Yeah. See, that's nothing about that is not unsettling. But the good news is, um, we, as we've covered previously on the show, you, you know, you get your, you get your Chick-fil-A sneakers, you get headed to the VIP section at your, your church in Manhattan there, and uh, you get out your $300 Bible, and I think you're really having a luxury experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you've got your, 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 your Bible here, I, I'm, you know, people may not know this, but, uh, you know, when we do our in-person services in the past and we actually give a Bible away to each new person that, that comes to our service, uh, you know, obviously many of them don't have a copy of the Bible for themselves. So um, I'm wondering if Bibles cost $300 now, if we're just going to go completely bankrupt doing that. <laughs> We need a lot of you to sign up for Bridgebox. It's going to take about uh, 30 of you per month signing up new for us to give away one Bible. And uh, it's going to take it's going to take an influx. Let's put it that way. Well, you know, to that end, one of the things that has been in our because we have a, a little gift bag. You know, we have a full on, you know, kit of things that we give to people that are coming to the bridge for the first time. Super cool. And. You know, it varies a little bit through the years. It's evolved. But one of the things that has been in there, you know, pretty regularly is a a little cloth WWJD bracelet, a little what would Jesus do bracelet. And, you know, the folks who come to the bridge, they they love them and they they literally oftentimes will wear these bracelets for, for years at a time. But I feel like we've been cheating the people by not having a 24 karat gold diamond encrusted WWJD bracelet. Wouldn't that be a better witness? Well, as as I recall, the original idea behind the WWJD bracelet is a thing that has never happened in the world, which is some non-believer would notice your uh, little cloth bracelet and look at you and say, what's that all about? And then you would witness to them. And I think you're going to get a lot more notice if you've got a nice 24 karat yeah. gold diamond encrusted bracelet. <laughs> I just, I just want to say as a, as somebody who grew up as a Baptist kid, if somebody had told me that the Apocrypha included a blooper reel of Moses trying to split the Red Sea, it didn't work the first time, and he turned to the camera, said a curse word, and it got bleeped out, like, I really would have been more interested in that version of the Bible. Right there with you. So you're telling me the Catholics get the blooper reel and they're at lunch first? This this papism <laughs> is starting to really, really have... Look, what I'm saying is I'll stand up and sit down 25 times for all of this. Absolutely. A deal. You're you're talking about a blessed are the cheesemakers kind of situation. (laughs) Did he say the cheesemakers? (laughs) I, because I am of a certain age, when I hear blooper reel, thanks to our our friends at Smoking the Bandit, I can only now picture Dom DeLuise playing every kind of biblical patriarch and things going oh, wrong. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. A very specific reference, but for those of you who get it, it's going to land very, very well. And we, on that note, will declare a very expensive 
emergency off. Wow. Ooh. As we mentioned, if you have a little a little uh, cash left over in your pocket after you buy your $300 Bible and you'd like to uh, put that towards something that's almost pretty much the opposite of that, you can give to Bridgebox, <laughs> missionosa.com <laughs> slash Bridgebox, only $8 a month. Get some great encouraging stuff in your inbox uh, the first of every month. You can also check us out every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time, facebook.com slash Chicago for our Bridge Live service. If you can't be with us live, we certainly hope you can, but if you can't, you can catch every single episode of that archived at the videos tab on our Facebook page. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you can have this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us. Or you can scroll down in your episode description and click on the links there. First question comes in and says, I had a tough conversation with someone. It ended up going pretty well. Apologies were made and accepted, but I don't think this ends with us being best friends or anything. That still feels weird to me like a movie that doesn't have the last 10 minutes in it. How can I be comfortable with the messiness and incomplete feeling? A a very cool question. And uh, Glenn, where do we start off with this? Well, first of all, I I, I think this is in in a lot of ways a better situation than what you think it is. Uh, You know, first of all, confrontations are always tough. They're always messy. Uh, Life is messy in that way. And that's okay. That's, that's not, something wrong with you or the situation, the way it was handled, or even the other person, uh, that's natural. There, there's going to be a feeling of just, eh, this is a bit, you know, awkward and, and so forth. That's fine. That, let's, let's just, you know, make that declaration up front, that, it, that that doesn't mean there's something sinful or sort of the, that root of bitterness. That's a, that's, a, that's a thing that happens when you don't confront the situation. You've you've done all the tough and hard work to uh, confront this and and resolve it and deal with it, and you should feel good that that has happened. And if after that, what you have is sort of a lingering awkwardness, recognize that's pretty much the home run here. That's that's pretty mm-hmm. much the best possible outcome. And so, uh, it, you know, find a way to embrace that as as a positive. Uh, I, but I think it, it's important to recognize that this isn't the end of the story, uh, that it's that I think we get a tendency to look at relationships and where they are now and just, you know, have a sense that that's the way it will always be. I, I, I don't know quite why that is, but, uh, you know, we tend to kind of freeze uh, the status of relationships in Amber, so to speak. Uh, but the truth is, I, you know, I've done a lot of confrontation. Most of that's in more of a professional context than a personal one. Uh, but I've done, you know, a lot of confronting, uh, you know, other professionals that I'm working with or uh, even volunteers or, you know, uh, church leaders, those kind of things. Uh, and in some cases where I've really had to make that a, a, a fairly, you know, tough, strong confrontation where I'm, I'm really getting in their in their business with stuff uh and you know it was definitely unpleasant and it was it was not fun but you know what's funny is if you look at those things long term you'd be shocked at how many of those people and i are perfectly fine with each other now and, mm. and maybe even uh closer than we were at the beginning uh here's part of the reason why First is that um, it's important for you to recognize that if you, you know, had had a situation where things weren't okay and you had to draw a boundary and you had to confront somebody on it, if you did that and they responded it, at least eventually with an apology and and acknowledging of that and taking responsibility for that, that 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 may not have been right off the bat, but if they eventually got to that place. And you got everything you wanted out of that situation. Uh, if that's the case, then it's easy for you to be generous, and you should be generous. You you should let that other person feel frustrated and angry, somewhat with themselves, somewhat with you for bringing it up. Uh, you should be, because you got what you wanted. You should be able to say, "Okay, this person can have a funky attitude. That's allowed. That's okay. That's fair." You know, that's, that's a, that's a reasonable exchange. 
So a funny thing happens when I confront somebody, they take responsibility and they're okay with it. And they see me 100% let that go and accept their apology and not, not hold a grudge, not, you know, just to feel like, you know, I got what I wanted. So I'm going to be generous now. All of a sudden they're looking at other people in their lives that a never had the courage to confront them. So, you know, they're just sort of fibbing to them and that's not a respectful thing. And B they're silently resenting them and holding things against them and, and not even saying anything. I said stuff and then I let it go. I mean, you, you, you got me mad enough to have to say something and now I'm not in that place at all. So, uh, there's a respect that can come out of that and they can Mm. see who you are, see your character in that. And sometimes that has a funny way, again, not in the short term, but in the long run, you, you'd be really, really surprised how often that allows for a whole different phase to that relationship. So, uh, I think there's a reason to feel a lot more positive and optimistic about this than, than where you're at now. That's a wonderful place to start it off. And Jed, where do we go from there? You know, I pick up right where, where Glenn left off. I, I could not agree more. With the idea of this story is not over yet. You know, um, I think I have certainly had situations in my life where I've had to have unpleasant conversations with people and, have have had to draw some boundaries and um and plenty of those did not go nearly as well as what you've described in your question. I mean again, you're you're saying that uh, you had a tough conversation, apologies were made and accepted. I mean that's kind of amazing, man. That's yeah. That's that's really really good. I I've I've certainly had some tough conversations with people that that needed to be, happen when boundaries that needed to be drawn that kind of looked like they were relationship ending um, at least for a while, uh, you know, but things do change. You know, I, I, I've had people where we needed to not interact for a while, maybe a long while. And, um, you know, uh, eventually they, they got to a different place in their lives and, and were, you know, um, able to be a place of, of um, being ready for, for new things. I don't, you know, and, um, you know, I, I have a different kind of relationship with them today. Is it, is it exactly as close or as good as, you know, it, it might've been, I don't know, but it's, um, it's something. And, and in, in some cases, something is better than nothing. But the key thing is that I, mm. I, I would not assume that the story is over. I would, I would not assume that the relationship that you have with them today, which sounds like it's, you know, okay, but kind of awkward and, you know. We're not really sure we want to you know, spend a ton of time together, um, that that is not necessarily where this is going to be forever or where it needs to be forever. So super duper agree with Glenn on that. I, I think that's that's it, I'll certainly say that's been true in my life. So uh, for for whatever that's worth. The other thing that I would know, and this is really super important, is. If you are anything like me, there are not enough hours in the day to invest in the really worthwhile relationships that you have access to. Mm. Um, That when you think of the people that you really want to invest in, and you really want to build a closer relationship with, there's just not enough time in the day to, to do as much of that as you would like. That's true for me. I imagine it's true for you. So one of the things that suggests is if I'm not able to do as much investing in the really good relationships, I'm definitely not going to sweat the maybe not super worthwhile ones. Come on, man. You know, if I've got a relationship where we, we needed to have a hard conversation and they, you know, backed off and, and, you know, we're willing to relent, but it's kind of a weird and awkward thing at this point. Um, I dang dude. Um, I I think my view is I, I will worry about investing in that relationship when I finish investing in all these other ones that are much more important to me and much more vital. Um, you don't have to feel that way, but I think it's worth looking at that. You know, I mean, one of the unfortunate things of, of just life on planet earth and, and I think that this is going to be more true actually, as we're coming out of the pandemic, whenever, whether that's, you know, three months from now or six months from now or whatever, at whatever point people have more typical social engagements, I think we're, many of us are going to find that, um, there's far more socializing and interacting and talking and catching up that we want to do 
then we could fit into the next five years of our lives. So being really intentional about how you want to spend that and how you want to use that, I think is going to be key. And that definitely means letting go of guilt as a motivator, not saying, well, who do I need to include on this list? Cause I feel bad and I wish things were better. Uh, move that stuff to the bottom of the list. Focus on, on the people that you really want to engage and build that relationship with. And again, recognize that with this person, almost certainly the story isn't over yet. And it's a wonderful place to take that. And Lee, I'd love to get you to close us out here. And maybe by taking a look at the emotional aspect of this, because as Glenn and Jed have both pointed out, I had a conversation I didn't want to have. Apologies were made, accepted. We all went away in a better place is kind of an amazingly good outcome. Yeah. But it can still feel bad based on just our own internal emotions. So what's going on there and what can we do about it? Well, I I think you, I think you nailed it, Matt. I mean, look, our emotions are weird. Like we just feel weird about stuff. And a lot of times when you feel funky, you have this question in your head of like, did I do the wrong thing? A lot of times, like if you have kind of a rolling feeling in your stomach or you just feel strange, that doesn't mean that you did the wrong thing. It means our emotions are weird. I mean, when you have a conflict conversation with somebody where you might have to set some boundaries or you might have to change the nature of the relationship or you might have to call somebody to account, those kinds of conversations are taxing and they are taxing on everybody. I mean, I think Glenn and and Jed and Matt are all exactly right. Like when you lay out this situation to us, we're going, "Hey, bravo, man!" or 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 "brava," which whatever the case may be. Like you, you did a a hard thing really well. It feels like this is, you know, you've you've got a really good outcome here. That does not mean that you're not going to feel weird about it. You're you're yeah. gonna there's going to be a lot of second guessing. There's going to be a lot of 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 did I do the wrong thing? You're going to you're just going to wonder whether or not it was the right thing to do. I want to give you one practical piece of advice that I actually learned from my wife. Um we said something amazing to our kid which was I want to encourage you before you go to bed tonight to write down the reasons that you're doing this. I just want you to write them down somewhere, just in your handwriting because what I'm going to promise you is right now it seems impossible because you're you feel pretty steady about this. Uh, it, it might be a couple of weeks or something like that, but you're going to second guess this whole thing and you're going to be feeling wishy-washy emotionally about this. And it may be a helpful thing for you to be able to go back to a piece of paper written in your handwriting that has the reasons that you're doing this. When we have tough conversations with people, and I'm talking about the guys on this show, when we have to have tough conversations with people We've done enough of those to know it's not a fun thing to do. There's a reason we're doing it. If you had a tough conversation, there's a reason that you had to have that conversation. We we may be forging a different kind of relationship or something like that. You know, like but we need to give it the space to become something new, something different, whatever it is, without just completely second-guessing the reason that we did that. It could be helpful for you to write down, here were the things, the the reasons that I did this. Um, that's been a centering concept in my mind in difficult conversations that I've had to have, to have a place for me to go back and look at, oh yeah, this happened, and then this happened, and then this other thing happened. This could not continue to go on in the way it was going on. We actually, this conversation was difficult, but we actually really, really had to have it. And I'm actually kind of proud of myself for doing it. That can be a centering thing for you emotionally. Because again, these kinds of conversations are costly. And they're costly on everybody. They're difficult. You feel funky about them in in the aftermath. But it can be a, a helpful thing and a centering thing for you to be able to look back and say, Actually, when I look back at what the situation was like, it's easy to forget. But when I look at these reasons, I actually really did have to have that conversation. I'm proud of myself for doing it. It was it was tough to do, but we all handled it well with maturity. We may not have the same relationship going forward, but we can forge something different and something new. And I'm going to continue to give it that space and not just rush in and undo everything I did in the conflict conversation. So that's just one practical piece of advice. But don't let the the emotions of the discomfort 
make you automatically second guess the whole thing that you did. My guess is that there were some really concrete and really good reasons why you would take a, a step that that's difficult to face. We're proud of you for doing it. Proud of you for having really a, what sounds like a successful and uh, difficult conversation. And so hang in there. We're, we're, we've got your back. And uh, But I would suggest that. It, it may be something that helps you get a little bit of centering as you kind of walk forward out of the discomfort of having that conversation. Oh, yeah, it's all great stuff from all these guys. We're going to move on to our next question here, which comes in and says, I am feeling super lonely since I made the decision to cut some toxic people out of my life. Even though there are positive people around me now, I wouldn't really call them my close friends. I'm grateful for these new people, but I feel really uncomfortable and I'm afraid I'll be tempted to go back to my old friends. How can I deal with this? And a, another great question. And Jed, where would we start off? Well, certainly we, we want to start off by uh, cheering you on for recognizing that you had toxic people in your life and making the really, really hard decision to just say, nope, uh, I, I know that isn't easy and we are, uh, we are proud of you. And we're also proud of you for recognizing that you have needs, um, recognizing that you, you need friends and, and you need uh, companions and that you're not always fully sure how to take people from being acquaintances that, that seem to have you know, positive qualities to actual friends. This, this is all good stuff. And I think the really, really good news is that the way forward is a lot simpler than you would think. Mm. Um, you, you, if you've got these positive people around you, um, a that's awesome. That's actually uh, <laughs> the lion's share of the work is already done. Because if you want them to become friends, then here's what you do: is you spend time together. Yeah. You go to the ball game. You have dinner. You hang out. You you talk about your lives. You talk about your work week. You talk about what's going on. Um. If if you can dig it, uh, I think for most people, by the time that they have hung out socially two or three times, if if you were to just kind of serve them and say, do you feel like you are now more or less friends with this person? I think most people would say yes. Um, you know, we we have this view that that friendship is a thing that's, you know, forged in the fires of adversity. And I mean, sometimes that's true, but honestly, for a lot of people just, you know, we've hung out a few times. He seems like a nice person and, you know, uh, you know, this is a good time and a you know, cool dude. I, I guess we're friends now. Um, that's great. Yes. Uh, friendships can grow and, and that, you know, takes time and there's, there's, you know, being vulnerable with people and that should go slowly so that there's more depth and more intimacy. But the context that's going to allow all that to happen and to happen somewhat organically is just intentionally spending time together. Yep. Yep. Um, it's, it's really not more complicated than that. Um, and if you really want to turbocharge it, um, if you're willing to be the person that, you know, at least most of the time, uh, proposes activities and whatnot, man, you'll, you'll get there before you know it. Um, you know, you, you say it, you, you've got these positive people in your life. If you're going to them and you're saying, I think we should watch this ball game together. I think you get a lot more yeses than you might expect. Mm -hmm. Um, most people are, are actually pretty stoked to, to do stuff, especially if they're not the person organizing it, if they're not the person taking the initiative. So, you know, if you're creating an environment where you guys are spending time together again, that's. You're, you're well on your way. That's, that's really the, the main thing. And the other thing that, that I, I, you noted in your question, I want to note too, is you said that you feel uncomfortable and you're afraid that you'll be tempted to go back to your old friends. That's a really, really sharp insight. Um, mm -hmm. the truth is if you just sit around lonely with no new friends, yes, you will definitely be tempted to, uh, go back to your old friends. The way that you deal with the uncomfortability with new people is you push through it, is you find yeah. a way to, to spend that time together. Put another way, you are the most uncomfortable you will be right now. This is the most awkward that it will be right now. Every time that you spend time together, that awkwardness and uncomfortability will decrease. So the more that we can recognize that, the more we can lean into that, the better and faster of results uh, you're going to get. We believe in you. Don't give up. Keep going.
Absolutely right. That's a great place to start it off. And Lee, where do we pick things up there? I would come in on the exact same note. I mean, you know, the thing that I found in my life is that shared experiences are the ticket to creating friendship. Yep. It's it's a funny thing. When you think back to the people that you were your friends when you were like a little, little kid, it's not that you vetted each other to see if you liked all the same Saturday morning cartoons or the same breakfast cereal or anything like that. They were just the kids that were in your math class or that were, uh, that their desk sat next to, you know, near yours in the alphabetized seating chart, or you were on the same, like, you know, rec league soccer team. Um, they were just the people that you spent time with. Those were your friends. And then, you know, some of those, as you get into adolescence, some of those relationships change and you start hanging out with other people. And then lo and behold, the 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 other people that you start hanging out with, those people become your friends. Um, ha- having been a person who's involved in outreach ministry f- like for 20 years at this point, the thing I can tell you is that as a person who's involved in outreach ministry, my job is to do exactly what Jed just gave you advice about. That's my job. My job is to go find people who don't know Jesus and create a situation where we become friends. I find places and times to hang out with them. I invite them to hang out with me. I extend that invitation to all kinds of people, and some of them pick it up, and then we start hanging out, and then we start becoming friends. What's been really cool, I mean, you know, from a ministry standpoint, you know, that, that concept worked and, you know, all of a sudden I was in spaces where people were, you know, vulnerable and talking about their lives and we were sharing all kinds of stuff. And I got to talk to them about the Lord and some of these people came to know the Lord and then we walked together and all that business. The thing that really surprised me is at this point in my life, some of my closest friends are people who they started out like young people I was reaching out to. And now we're all just adults of different ages, but, you know, I intentionally um, did exactly as Jeb was just advising you to do. Hey, come out, come hang out. Let's, let's go get some breakfast or, um, Hey, do you go, you want to go to this, uh, you know, this, this soccer game with me or, you know, Hey, let's, this, this new planet of the apes movie is coming out. I bet it'll be amazing. Let's go watch it together. And we, and, and now we're just friends. Like, I'm the guy they call when they need somebody to pray for them, and they're the guys I call when I need somebody to move a huge, heavy piece of furniture out of my house, and we hang out, and we're friends. I really like the advice that Jed's giving you about being the the person who intentionally creates these spaces of shared experiences. Um, This goes back to a principle that, I mean, it's just so eloquently and simply put by Jesus in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, when he says, treat others the way that you want to be treated. Um, you want people to want to hang out with you. So the way that you kick that off is you treat them the way you want to be treated. Ask them to hang out with you. Um, create the board game nights and the movie nights and the, and you know, let's go hit up the drive through nights. Um, you create those shared experiences, and those shared experiences will bloom in time into the friendship that you're seeking. I think it is amazing, absolutely amazing, that you have taken the cr- unbelievably courageous step of moving away from relationships that have not been healthy for you, that have not been good for you. The next step is exactly what Jed's saying. It's the ex- I'm coming in on the exact same note. It's for you to reach out to other people and create some shared experiences with some positive people in your life. You won't regret it. It is, it is a million times better than going back to something that you already know you already know is a, is a bad zone. Um, but being that person who's willing, you've already done a hugely brave thing. The next brave step, it takes bravery. It doesn't take as much as what you've already done. What you've already done is amazing. Um, let's take this next step keep pushing through it and you will be surprised at the level of community and friendship that you can create by just sharing experiences. That's another great layer down add on to this. Glenn, where do we close it out? Well, I think I would 
you know, really trying to um, encapsulate everything these two brothers are telling you by saying that I, I, I think the big point they're driving towards here is that being intentional about building friendships in the way that you want them to look and the way you, the kind of people you want to be hanging out with, etc., that that could be a massive game changer for you. I mean, we're looking at this as a crisis of there's loneliness and there's, you know, we're, we're sort of in between here, some negative relationships we're getting away from, and we're hopefully trying to get into positive relationships. But let's take this as a positive that if, if I, here's the thing, we have this um, myth that we tell ourselves that the way that we act as Christians, the level of our sanctification, our, you know, amount of good behavior, et cetera, is based on character and um, it's based on just like willpower and awesomeness <laughs> and all of that. That is not held up by any evidence of any kind. Uh, every bit of sociological data, every every bit of ministry experience that you're going to get from this podcast says you are going to tend like the people you're going to tend to act like and behave like and think like the people you're around. Yeah, so much more than you think you would. Uh, th- now that sounds like again you you bristle against that. You think you're your own person. You do thinking for yourself, and you say, "Well, I disagree with my friends to a certain extent here and there." By and large, you really do take your cues from the people who are around you. That means if you intentionally build better and healthier relationships and have better people around you, then you could really do a ton of transformation in your life without doing the usually horribly difficult work of getting Mm. that turned around. Any kind of short cut like that that you get a chance to take, take it. But I think the problem we get into is that you say i want i want friendships but the cool people would want to hang out with me so i'm going to act like i don't want that and then i'm going to act hang out with the people who are kind of messed up and then that's that's how we get into these bad situations these negative situations it's better to say here is somebody um and maybe they know the lord maybe they don't as lee is pointing out but there, you can see there's a character there. There's something amazing about them. And to get in, into a relationship with them and point that out to them. Say, hey, man, you know, I notice the way you always do this or you say this. I notice, you know, when the waitress takes your order, you, you act different and, and you behave and you, you show respect in a certain kind of way. You always look her in the eye and so forth. And I, I just think that's really cool. And I'm, I'm hanging out with you because I want that to rub off on me. Those are the kinds of things I would I would say out loud, and and I would cultivate friendships based on that. Final point is, if you want to build relationships really quick, really fast, take an interest in them. Mm. Uh, a lot of people say, "Well, I I want to have friends that that think I'm amazing," and that's where we get into a lot of problems. Find friendships with people who are amazing, and you want to tell them they are amazing. Uh, they'll reflect that back to you in, in, in time, and that's all it, to 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 the positive and all that. But you know, I talk to a lot of people. I'm that person, and I don't know how I got this 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 particular uh, role in life. But I'm that person that when you want to do a project or something new, I get a lot of that. I get a lot of hey, I'm 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 doing this music thing. I'm doing this writing thing. I'm doing this new church type thing. Uh, take a look at it and tell tell me what you think, and I'm happy to do that. It's, it's a fine you know part of my job. But what, the funny thing about that, this is really interesting, is I'll I'll say here's what I really like. Here's the part that I think is a challenge. I think this is great. I think you should go for it. But you want to probably keep these things in mind. Something like that. It, it's it's amazing how many times people will give me feedback and say you're the only one who has responded in this kind of yeah. positive, encouraging, but also nuts and bolts kind of way where you've clearly given it thought. And I, what I want to tell them back is it's easy for me to do that because I've 
had a certain amount of ministry success. So it's, it's, I'm not trying to compete with anybody. I'm not trying to be the cool person in the room. You may be surrounded by a lot of people where that's what they're, they're all trying to compete with each other to who can be the coolest, who can get all the attention and all that. You need to step off of that and look at who's not getting attention, but happens to be a cool person and give them that attention and, and say, this isn't about me. This is about you. I wanted to be a good friend. If you concentrate on being a good friend, the good news is you'll have good friends. That's another very, very good answer and a wonderful way to close out that topic. We're going to move to our final question here, which comes in and says, I'm having a problem with anger. I get very, very frustrated and feel like no one is trying to understand my side of things sometimes. Mm. I also know I am angry. I also never know I'm angry until after I do the thing that I regret. How do I not give in to anger? And another great question, Lee, where would we start this off? Yeah, thanks for writing this in. I'm sorry that you're having a hard time with that. And and I think one of the really important places to begin is to let you know that you are not the only person who realizes too late that you're in a negative emotional space when it feels too late. Um, that is a very, very common thing. It's a very, very common thing for people to feel like, I didn't know that I was feeling that until after I did something that I regretted. So just know that that's not like a, you know, you're, you're not the only person on the planet dealing with that. That's a, that's a very common thing. And if you were actually in a, in a space with like a counselor or a psychologist, um, one of the things that I've read about, heard about, talked to a lot of counselors about is that they will give people really practical homework to do to start to become aware of their emotional state. It's, a, as I said, very, very common for people to kind of not know how they feel. Um, it's especially common a lot of times for dudes to feel like, yeah, the only emotions I'm aware of are like, you know, angry and hungry. And that's, I, I know when I feel those things and that's it. And is, and is hungry, even emotion. That's, that's, that's what I feel. And so a lot of times what counselors will say is that you need to do kind of awareness exercises that it that actually takes reps to be, to get to a place where you can articulate and understand what you're actually feeling at a given moment. So a counselor might give you an exercise that goes something like set some alarms on your phone at random uh, for, for a day that you're going to live through. And then when one of those alarms goes off, literally take a five minute break from work or from or conversation or whatever you're in the middle of and get to a space where you can be by yourself and ask yourself this question. What am I feeling? Am I feeling anything? What are, th- what are some of the emotional spaces that I've been in today. Um, how would I describe the way that I'm feeling? Was there anything that happened to me or that I did that led to the way that I'm feeling? All of this is, um, when you do that kind of at random over a period of days, over a period of weeks, you start to build some repetition in the idea of becoming aware of what you feel. And that's an important piece of what you're talking about. You're talking about being frustrated that people aren't uh, understanding your point of view and things, and then you get to a point of anger that that you do something that you regret. What we want to do is to actually start to become more aware of the way that you're feeling before your temperature rises to the point where you do something that you regret. But that starts with an awareness. Um, and so that's something that I would suggest. It's definitely something that... Um, it's it's something that a counselor or that a psychologist may suggest that just that you need to start to build a rhythm where you start to kind of understand what it looks like to take stock of how you're feeling and to ask yourself, what is this feeling I'm experiencing? Did anybody say anything that triggered that? Did I do anything or did anything happen in any of these relationships? The other thing that I would say real quick before we pass this around is that um, anger is something that you can absolutely feel on anger is something that can be felt on its own. You can just something can happen and you can feel angry. But anger is also an emotion that is a secondary emotion that we sometimes use to compensate ourselves for emotions that we do not like to feel. Like there's a certain there's a certain energy in anger that feels compensational. Feels good. It it feels Sometimes it feels righteous. 
sometimes it feels like, yeah, I like the way this feels. I, I, I like the way it feels to be angry about this thing. I feel right. I feel, I feel like a sense of justice, all these kinds of things. And sometimes what we'll do is cover up other emotions that we do not like to feel. So for instance, um, uh, humiliation. If we feel humiliated in a situation, we will, what our brain will do is by, like, just bypass humiliation and go straight into anger because anger feels a whole lot better inside our head than humiliation or embarrassment feels, than shame feels, than failure feels. So this is a, it's kind of a different layer to this question, but asking myself honestly, asking yourself honestly, is there any other thing going on that I'm compensating myself for with this anger? Um, is, there some, is there some shame that I'm feeling or some humiliation or some sense of failure or something like that? Did I not meet an expectation that I was hoping on? And I'm compensating uh, those really, really uncomfortable things with anger. These are some great questions to ask yourself, and it's all part of getting reps of understanding what you're feeling so that we can get ahead of the game rather than experiencing these things on the back end and then feeling all of that regret. That is a really, really good place to start this discussion off. And Glenn, where do we take it from there? Well, yeah, I have, I have one question that I would ask you if, if we were, if we were, if this was a conversation face to face, because you're, you're saying I get very frustrated and I feel like no one is trying to understand my side of things sometimes. I think that's a really key point here because what I want to know is, is are people trying to understand your viewpoint? Are are they giving you that feedback? Are they saying, I see what you're saying. I understand your viewpoint and, you know, I validate your feelings on that. There are other mitigating factors I, I might want to point to, but absolutely I hear you and I understand and I sympathize. Uh, if they're skipping over that empathy to just change the channel and say, okay, you you shouldn't feel what you're feeling because I, it's inconvenient for me and I don't like it and I don't know what to say. It makes me feel icky. Then n people are not trying to understand how you feel. So it's, that's not just a, a suspicion that you have about the situation. That's, that's real. Uh, for me, I think the recipe for anger turning into rage is when you're in a very tough situation and you're trying your best to deal with that anger and and express it, but also control it. Uh, th those go together. When you're in a very tough situation and you're 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 being honest and you're being vulnerable and you're saying this is making me really angry. The just about the 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 toughest thing in the world is when someone's ignoring how you feel about that. Mm and saying, yeah, but this. And th that, if you're just having a lot of problems with rage, I think it might be about looking at, is there an unhealthy situation that's that's driving that? Uh, now, I want you to take responsibility for your part of it. I'm not trying to put this on any anybody else, but I, I think it is worth asking is that what's going on because if it's not if people are listening if they are giving you that sense of empathy and the anger is getting out of control then we actually have a worse situation here than what we might be thinking because you know if you have people who are letting you vent and giving you attention and giving you time to do that and giving you good sympathy and and understanding uh, then you, you, there is an anger problem here. Uh, the thing about anger is that it can be legit and expressing it to a certain extent can be healthy. Right. Uh, but it also wants to take the reins. And the thing about anger that I think Christians really poorly understand is there is an element of it that is thrilling. Uh, there's an element of it that feels um it, it it just it it gives us a certain type of rush 
Uh, I, I don't know about you. When I'm super, super, super angry, I never feel more correct than I am in that moment. <laughs> I have a lot of self-doubt when, I, when I'm not angry. When I'm blind with rage, I know I'm right. Uh, now, the, the tough part about that is, as I said before, the anger can be legit. That, that means that you may be right. Uh, about that to a certain significant extent but it's being able to move past that that we that's our goal here spiritually so venting should venting your anger should lead to a point of surrender where you've expressed it other people have said to you i'm sorry that's happened that really stinks and it's you're right to be angry about it if someone gives you that response your next thought should be, okay, then I, you know, I should give this up. I'm, I'm at a point of surrender. I, I'm not alone in this. There's understanding there's it's legit. Uh, I need to be at a place of surrendering. That doesn't happen right away. Of course. And sometimes you have to peel off a few different layers, but the idea is as I vent that anger, I'm also investigating i'm also understanding as i'm peeling those layers off i'm seeing why i'm really angry and what's really setting me off here so that i go from venting to that surrendering to the fact that there's it's more complicated and there's more things going on here and then that leads me naturally to insight once i get to the point of insight it breaks the spell of the anger uh, but it also kind of gives me that thing of uh, that allows me to shift out of anger and into taking action, taking control, all those things that you want to do. Mm. But if you're not moving from venting to that, that surrendering to the fact that there's there's more complicated things going on here to that learning uh, and that insight piece, then we need to figure out how to create a system where that is what's in place to have your conversations, your communications with other people, your support system, to have that as a feature. Because the Lord wants to to take that anger and use that as a fulcrum for change, learning, and insight in that situation. That's when you're really going to be set free. That's all good stuff. And Jed, where would we end this up? Well, you've heard plenty of really good stuff already, so I'll just add a couple of quick things. The first is just a reminder the goal is not to be never angry. That's not a good goal. Right. It's not a healthy goal, not a Christian goal. The goal is to get to a place to where we can process our anger in a healthy way. Yeah. And in order to do that, one of the things that we kind of need to have almost as an admission up front is that that is a possible thing, that there is such a thing as being frustrated and handling it in a healthy way. There is such a thing as being angry and handling it in a healthy way. and. I think depending on the kind of upbringing you've had, we're not always sure that that's the case. Um, you know, plenty of people who've grown up around religious stuff have basically been taught that anger itself is a bad thing and a sin, which it is not. That's just not true. Um, that's not biblical. You know, or we've grown up in environments where when people are angry, they are giving a full uncontrolled um, outburst of their emotional state and just doing whatever they feel like. And so that's our concept of, of what, you know, anger would be. So again, the goal is to process anger and frustration in a healthy way, and we need to start by deciding that that is a possible thing. You can absolutely do that, and a lot of that goes back to the great stuff that both Lee and Glenn were saying in terms of uh, strategies, in terms of the spiritual aspect of it, in terms of being more uh, in touch with your body. Uh, that's all great stuff, and you definitely want to do that. I want to ask you a couple more kind of diagnostic questions, just things to, to think about. And, and here's the first one is, do you feel like you are able to make your life more and more the way that you want it to be? Do you feel like you have the power to little bit by little bit move your personal life in the direction that you want it to go? And that could be everything from, you know, uh, you're, you're able to advance in your career or you're able to live in a place that you feel good about. You're able to um, afford the kind of food that you like. But are you able to make your life be more the way that you want it to be? And if you're not, why not? 
what what's standing in the way of that? Is that um, you know, I, I I never finished high school, and so it's it's you know, I need to get my GED, or is it you know, I I you know have a, a felony on my record, and you know, I have a hard time getting a job. What are the things, practically speaking, that stand in the way of you having some agency in your life? Uh, because I think n- not for everybody all the time, but I think one of the things that can go on when, when folks are struggling with anger is some folks are in a life that would make anybody angry and they're not mm. sure what to do about it. Cause it's a really crappy life that is really uncool. And then there are frustrations on top of that. Um, so even as we want to learn how to handle the emotions and the sensations of anger, we also want to figure out how to get you into a life that you feel good about and a life that is not just day in and day out um, filling you with a sense of rage because of the injustices that you are facing. Uh, we, we want to get you to a better place. And so, again, let's look at practically speaking, what is standing in the way of that? Are there things standing in the way of that? And and sometimes there are things standing in the way, but they they're they're fully internal. We're just you know we're we feel afraid to make a change, and that's that's all right. But we can admit that, and we can get the help that we need in order to move forward. But the key thing is, you can have a life that you feel better about. Mm. You can have a life that you feel more satisfied in. You can have a life that feels like it is more just in the way that you. Um, uh, uh, live and are treated. That's not co-equal with me telling you that you're going to drive a Bugatti and sail around the world on a yacht. These are not the same thing, but you can have a life that you feel better about. And, and I think that that may lead to more peace for you, which we definitely want for you. Then here's the other thing, kind of a diagnostic question I want to ask, want you to ask yourself is, are you consuming media, including social media that is designed to make you mad? Mm. Hello. Because if you are, it's time to let that go. Yeah. Um, I, I wish that it were not so, but the truth of the matter is that there are uh, huge media conglomerates that spend um, insane amounts of money with the goal of pissing you off. Yeah. The goal of making you mad and upset and frustrated and angry and just just ready to snap. Uh, and they're doing it so that you'll keep watching and they can sell advertising space. That's that's the point. Um. And I don't know if that's a part of your experience, but but if it is, it's time to let that go. Um, those media outlets, and again, that that includes both traditional media and social media, um, uh, they're not appreciably bringing anything positive into your life. And even if they were, the positive things that they might bring into your life are completely outweighed by the constant, constant, constant flow of anger and rage and negativity that they are bringing into your life. Um you know, I, I am not a big fan or a big proponent of, um, you know, just cut it off as an answer to to hard things in life most of the time. But in this case, cut it off, dude. I, I actually think that's the right way to go. If if you find that you are that your media choices are just making you upset, and making you unhappy, make a big change, man. Uh, make a big change. Lean into it. You will be so much happier on the other side of it. And it's going to make all of the other good wisdom that you've heard work that much better when you don't have a steady stream of stuff that's designed to make you mad. I think that's a really great point. And one thing I would say to build on that is a lot of the times Jez is absolutely right for him and all of us on this show. We're not big fans of, well, just don't just, you know, cut it off the whole thing, because oftentimes that's used on things where you can't do that healthily. You know, you're supposed to, you're called to have uh, it, it, within the confines of marriage, a healthy sex life. You were to go back to the anger thing in general, you're going to be angry. You yeah. don't need to just cut yourself off from your emotions. You don't need to cut yourself off from all these things. The thing about your media diet is it's, you have a finite amount of time to put stuff in your eyeballs. Um, we're not saying don't go on the internet. We're not saying don't turn on the TV, but if there's a, a TV channel which only pumps horrible things meant to incite you and keep you on through the next commercial break. There's lots of other stuff on TV. There's streaming yep. services. Um, there's lots of other stuff on the internet, on social media. You can go on TikTok and watch people dance. You can uh, only follow, uh, you know, accounts that have uh, pictures of otters. Whatever it is, <laughs> there's the internet is a customizable experience. So you don't have to just be on a news app or the big accounts that everybody follows and be involved in the discourse. That is not conducive to a good time. 
As all great stuff from these guys, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask if you want to keep that totally anonymous. You can join us every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time for The Bridge Live. We're going to take out the song. This is from our co-workers, great friends, and key fixtures of The Bridge Live, Pete and Tasha Lawson. This is their yeah. take on It Is Well. Take out that. Thanks for listening. And remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Introducing the Say That $300 Bible cover. Protect your $300 Bible investment with our custom, genuine, handmade, upcycled brown paper bags. It's all yours for four easy payments or 15 karat blood diamonds. <laughs> oh my God.